I want you to turn to the book of Matthew, chapter 10. I'm going to continue tonight in my series of Why Jesus Said He Came. And it's important for us to look at why Jesus himself said that he came. And oftentimes in these passages, and maybe you've noticed already in the two that we've gone through, that oftentimes Jesus is clearing up some misconceptions uh, among the Jewish people of his day, why he came. And this passage is really no different. So we're in Matthew chapter 10, and we're going to take as our text verses 34 through 39. Matthew chapter 10, 34 through 39. And Jesus says, Think not that I am come to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. For I am come to set a man at variance against his father, and a daughter against her mother, And a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's foes shall be they of his own household. He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. He that shall find his life shall lose it. And he that shall lose his life for my sake shall find it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would speak to hearts tonight. Use me to speak your words, what you would have spoken, no more, no less. Lord, help us to understand some more about our Lord and his purpose and and coming, and help us rejoice in his coming and tell others about his coming, Lord, and pray that this message will help us in all those areas tonight. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> so when we look at this, verse 34, Think not that I am come to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. This can be a little difficult to make sense out of. You know, some would say, but Jesus loves and forgives everybody, doesn't he? What do you mean he didn't come to bring peace on earth? But he came to send a sword? A sword is a weapon. A sword is a tool of war. And we sing at Christmas time, peace on earth, goodwill toward men because Jesus came. But Jesus says that he didn't come to send peace on earth. Is he saying that you have to also in this passage reject your mom and dad to follow him? Just what is Jesus saying here? Well, when we come to our Bible and we look at a section of Scripture, context is key. It's important to look at the verses before and after and maybe even consider the entire chapter or even the entire book that we happen to be reading in. And this case is, this is certainly the case because Matthew chapter 10 starts off with a description of Jesus choosing his apostles. And it gives their names, all 12 of them, including Judas. And in this chapter, he's instructing his disciples, these apostles, before he sends them out to tell people about him. And tell 
everybody that he is the Messiah that they've been waiting for. And that title, that designation apostle means sent one. So he was preparing these guys. And the rest of this chapter, including our passage, is instructions and counsel and warning that Jesus gives to these guys before he sends them out. See, when Jesus came, he knew his coming was going to create conflict among people. And in particular, this conflict, these situations have a lot to do with wrong expectations. And there was wrong expectations rampant in Jesus' day about the Messiah, who he is. The expectation for the Jewish people was that when he showed up, he would bring peace for the Jewish people. That he was going to be their king and rule over them, and they would have a nation in its own sense again. Even his disciples asked him about it. In Luke chapter 9, verse, uh, 19, verse 11, it says, And as they heard these things, he added and spake a parable, because he was nigh, uh, nigh to Jerusalem, and because they thought that the kingdom of God should immediately appear. That triumphal entry, they thought, was going to be Jesus coming to sit on the throne. And kicked the Romans out. And many of the Old Testament prophecies do foretell that Jewish sovereignty is going to be restored. They won't only live in the land, but they'll have their own king and they'll be in charge of their homeland again. And no one's ever going to depose them from that land again. But that wasn't yet. And the Old Testament says that this future king would be a special one. We read about that in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. Let me turn there real quickly. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, talks about this king that would come. And Isaiah would certainly be well known in terms of the books of the Bible among the people. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. This passage would be familiar to them too, just as it is to us. And again, we use this passage of scripture at Christmas time. But that wasn't yet. You know, even the Gentiles knew. A little bit about this. I mean, in Jesus' birth, in that account, we read about the wise men coming from the east. And they said, where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. The Jewish people were expecting that Messiah to come and overthrow every, all Roman authority and kick all the Gentiles out 
and rule and reign. But God wanted something so much bigger. He wasn't just, he didn't come to do that. He came to restore everyone on earth to him spiritually, not just the Jews. So Jesus, again, kind of overthrows, overturns that common opinion about himself. He says, don't think this. Don't think that I've come to send peace on earth. There was wrong expectations about peace. He said, this isn't peace on earth, man toward man. This is what the Jews were looking for. A political, a military, a a national peace. But really, this is also what people today want Jesus to be. A Jesus that everybody can agree with. Or agree on. And really, it's what I want Jesus to be. A Jesus that rubber stamps my life and clears the way of trouble and obstacles. That's not why he came. He brought an opportunity for peace with God. He came to be that mediator between man and God. He came to pay for your sin and the sin of everyone in the world. That's why he came that first time. Oh, that ruling and reigning that is coming. And he will come for that. You know, the world generally doesn't realize that it's in conflict with God. Sometimes it does. And I didn't know I was in conflict with God and with his truth. I didn't know I was an active enemy against him. I needed to see that I already had a sword in my hand and was pointing to God. But peace with God requires unconditional surrender. When I lay down my sword, I can have peace with God. When I stop trying to force God to accept my terms for peace is when I can have peace with God. See, peace with God immediately creates conflict. It creates conflict with the world. Romans chapter 8, verses 7 through 9 says, Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God, but ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be it the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man... Have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Our natural thinking, our natural expectations about the Lord are at enmity with God because of our sin. And this was important for him, for his disciples to understand because he was about to send them out to preach the message that Jesus is the Messiah and that they needed to turn from their sin. And that wasn't going to be received very well. If you back up there in Matthew chapter 10, verses 16 and 17, 
Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to the councils, and they will scourge you in their synagogues. And ye shall be brought before governors and kings for my sake for a testimony against them, against them and the Gentiles. So already it, at that point in his instruction, if they were, and he sent them to the Jews. They weren't supposed to go to the Gentiles. And this message, oh, the king is here, that Messiah is here. Why would the rulers, why would the important people be against that? They should be happy. But he says, no, they're not going to be happy to hear this. He was sending a sword. That's how Jesus himself referred to it. So let's think about that sword for just a minute. If somebody is holding a drawn sword, there's no doubt that they're ready for conflict. They're ready for trouble. And a sword also means the conflict is life or death and it's seriousness. Today, we don't think of swords a whole lot. It would be the equivalent of somebody holding a gun and pointing it in your direction. I had a a situation at the gun range. Set the gun on the bench. And I know it was completely unloaded and nothing there. My daughters and I walked down to, to, to check the target, and as I'm walking back, I'm looking at the barrel that, whew, I'm glad there's nobody holding that and that there's nothing in it. That's this idea of a sword. It's the equivalent of what we have today of looking down the barrel of a gun pointed at you. This is Jesus saying, I am sending a sword. But we have to understand the conflict. Okay, so... Jesus says, I'm sending a sword. There's a conflict going on. What is going on? The real conflict started when man chose to disobey God and do his own thing. Romans 5.12 says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. It all started there. And conflict has continued through the ages, John tells us in 3.19. And this is the condemnation, that light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. We are continually seeking conflict and not resolution of it. The conflict continues right now inside each one of us. Colossians 1.21 says, And you that were sometime alienated and enemies... In your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled. The impediment to peace on earth is us. Our sin nature. Every conflict between man and man is a result directly of the conflict, result of the conflict between man and God. So in terms of this conflict, Jesus says that he is sending a sword. Let's think about the sword for a minute. Jesus didn't come to be the sword that just cuts people off, who takes them down. And we see that throughout his ministry. The woman brought to him in adultery. Did he cut her down and condemn her for her sin? And saying, well, I guess hell is your home now? No, he didn't do that. Because he didn't come to be the sword. 
right then and there. He didn't come to wield a sword on the part of any worldly kingdom, religion, or ideology. He didn't come to start a literal sword fight by sending his disciples out to convert the world by force. It wasn't what he was about. The sword that he sends is the sword of the Spirit, which is his word. Ephesians 6.17 says that, with the whole armor of God, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. He was about to send his word, his sword, through his apostles into the world. His word, God's word, causes conflict. It goes against what men believe in their hearts and minds due to their sinfulness. It goes against what religion teaches. Do more. Do better. Do this, but don't do that. It goes against that. It goes against that idea of peace. All roads lead to God. I can worship how I want to. It goes against tradition. The family tradition of religion. We'll talk about that here in a minute. It goes against me. Because his word says that he is the savior. I am a sinner and I desperately need him. Or I'm not going to make it to heaven. I need a savior. And the Holy Spirit, both the Holy Spirit and God's word, testify and point to Jesus as the only way of salvation. And Jesus, in describing this, goes on. And he says, For I am come to set a man at variance against his father, and the daughter against her mother, and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and the foes shall be they of his own household. Jesus is warning his apostles, those he's about to send, that the, the conflict isn't national. It's not so much that you're going to run and get sideways with the Roman government. And it's not... It's not tribal. It doesn't have to do with whether you're the tribe of Levi or the tribe of Benjamin or any of that. It doesn't have to do with the community going against the community necessarily. It's personal. And Jesus takes it down to the family level of conflict between people. Let's understand, if you were Jewish, in most cases, it was because you were born into it. Soon after your, parent, uh, after your birth, if your parents were devout, concerned about following the Jewish religion, they would have you circumcised on the eighth day after you were born, and they made certain offerings in the temple on your behalf. And we see Jesus' parents themselves did that. They fulfilled the law in these areas where Jesus, being a baby, wasn't capable of fulfilling the law. Then as you grew up, as a Jew, you were expected to worship in the ways that you were permitted to for your age. And in the process, you were taught the Jewish faith. And then you get to a certain age and you participated in certain ceremonies which proclaimed you to be an adult. And a personally responsible Jew who was required to offer the sacrifices and do the things that were expected of your religion. 
It was up to you. You needed to do it according to the rules of that faith. And everyone also in your community in Jesus' day was Jewish too. And on some level, there were a lot of ties between families in a community. By and large, they were small communities, small towns. And so people knew each other, and they were married to each other. And so your extended family ties could weave through the entire town. And sometimes religion works that way in our culture today. Not as much as maybe it used to. When the colonies of the United States were founded, each of those colonies, like the state of Massachusetts, would have a state religion. And you had to follow that state's religion or they kicked you out. And we don't have that so much today, but some of you follow a specific denomination, in this case, Baptist, because you were born into it and grew up in it and have dutifully followed along even as an adult. Though some of you probably also grew up in different denominations. We heard about on the mission call tonight about the prevalence of Catholicism. Catholicism is a system that's very similar to the Jewish system of Jesus' day. And for somebody like Jericho to tell his family, I'm not Catholic anymore, I'm doing this, that's a problem. Especially in those small towns scattered around that particular island that they live on. Maybe some of you grew up without religious instruction at all. But that's how you grew up. But salvation is not granted through following any religion. Just being a Baptist and doing the Baptist things here around church is not going to save you. Young people, growing up in a Baptist house is not going to save you. Salvation is through Christ and Christ alone. And your faith in him. See, when Jesus came, he was not in line with their traditions and religion in the way that the Jews expected him to be. They thought that that Messiah would be like one of the Pharisees, or one of those rulers. But he wasn't. He wasn't what they expected. He came and he said, I am the one you need to depend on for righteousness. John 6.40, and this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. John 6.47, verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. This is the message of Jesus. This is the sword that he was sending into the world. It wasn't works of righteousness. It wasn't their circumcision. It wasn't their sacrifice and offerings in the temple. Jesus said in the book of Matthew also, chapter 5, verse 24, I say unto you, 
that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. If you're trying to work, you got to work harder than even those guys. And everybody would be willing to say, yeah, those guys are pretty righteous in terms of keeping the law and everything. And Jesus says, no, that's not enough either. It doesn't matter if you're born a Jew genetically or into a Jewish family. Jesus told them, and I say unto you that many shall come from the east and west and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the children of the kingdom shall be cast out into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Those were the people that were depending on their nationality, their Jewish ancestry to count in God's eyes. And Jesus says, no. Now, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are going to be there because they're not your, it's not because they're physical fathers. They're not your family tree. It's because they're, they need to be your fathers because of faith. And we, in the first message in this series, he didn't tear down the law. He didn't come to destroy the law and the prophets. He came to fulfill it. Because we can't. And really the only reason we keep the law is to make ourselves look good to others and to ourselves. So we can lie to ourselves. So even here in a Baptist church, if you're going through the motions, if you're keeping up appearances and doing the right things, That doesn't make you right with God. That is the sword. I'm sending a sword into you tonight. And so we begin to see why Jesus says he's sending a sword. This is a hard saying. He says, he that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And in that is wrapped up all those religious traditions and expectations and satisfying and pleasing other people. All those things that are false religion are wrapped up in what he says right there. It's bigger than just mother and father. It's pointing at the heart. It's pointing at your heart. And Jesus recognizes that deep nature of the conflict. And he's teaching... And even his very presence is bringing into the world and especially into the Jewish families of his day. We don't really think much about it, but when Jesus was walking by the seashore and sees Peter and Andrew and James and John, and you know, those sons of Zebedee, Jesus says, come on guys, follow me. They left their dad in the boat. They picked up and left. I bet that caused a stir. I bet that caused some conflict. And we can understand why passions run high when there are differences in beliefs within a family. Maybe some of you have even gone through or are going through such a thing. If a child adopts another group's beliefs, they also reject the beliefs of their parents a lot of times. And if the child's beliefs are true, that creates conflict with the parents because 
they followed their parents' beliefs. And if their beliefs are wrong, that means that their mom and dad aren't in heaven. That's tough. And it suggests that they're not going either because their child has changed their mind. That's what's going on with this sword. It's about putting God first. Jesus says that you have to love him more than father or mother. Jesus is God. That's why he commands the first place love. Above family, is Jesus teaching to break the fifth commandment? No, he's not. Because the first commandment is love God. Jesus talked about those commandments. Matthew 22, Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Even that fifth commandment hangs on the first one. Because if your love with God isn't right, if you're not saved and you don't have the Holy Spirit working in you, you're going to misprioritize things, especially in your families. With God first, everything else will come into its proper order. He will smooth the way. He will help order those things. And it's putting those things above yourself also. See, love is a choice and sometimes a difficult one. See, the boundary marker in this statement is more than me. He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And you might say, no problem, I love just about anybody more than my mother or father. I hope that's not the case. But that's still looking at it the wrong way. If Christ is in his proper place, he can work in you and through you. And even a broken relationship like that, he can begin to restore it. And when I cross into eternity, when you cross into eternity, you're not going to be judged by mom or dad or grandma or grandpa. You're going to stand before Almighty God. You are going to have to give an account for yourself. I am going to have to give an account for myself. And I can't blame someone else or get some sort of exception or accepting because of anybody else. I'm going to be the one on the witness stand. And even if you do your religious duty your whole life, you constantly sin along the way and come short of the mark. No matter how perfectly you keep that religion. That's why you need a relationship with the Savior, not a religion. 
And that sword that Jesus sent, we're beginning to see how sharp it is, aren't we? And it's so sharp because life is at stake, and he says so. He that findeth his life shall lose it, and he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. You know, people think that career or status or stuff is what life is all about. And then when people get those things, and a lot of times when they lose those things, they discover that really wasn't all that important. But then what takes its place? Family and friends. They want their loved ones gathered around at their sickbed or you know, make up for, try and make up for lost time in those relationships. And that's what life is all about. But then when they have that, they discover and you will discover that one day you are going to have to make a journey, a trip all by yourself. No one can cross that threshold with you. And that destination, that where you are going is dependent on what you have done with Jesus Christ. He talks about finding and losing. Finding is discovering or getting what you seek. Hey, I found what I'm after. I've, I've gotten that job that I've been dreaming about since high school. Great. But it's not enough. Loseth is meaning destroy or give over to destruction. And the life that Jesus is talking about is not this physical life. He's talking about eternal life, which is either in fellowship and in the presence of God or cast out from his presence for all of eternity because with him is life. Eternity is at stake. That's what makes this sword so sharp also. Everyone who dies will be resurrected. Some to everlasting life in the presence of God and some to eternal damnation in the fires of hell. You will spend eternity somewhere. That is the sword. And one of the sharpest parts, probably the sharpest part of the sword, is that faith in Christ is exclusive. And I'm not talking about election, where only some people are chosen to be saved. No, no, no. It's available to everyone. What it excludes is everything else. Everything. It goes against what we may believe in our heart or mind about God because of our sinful heart and mind. It's exclusive. Whatever I naturally think is most likely wrong concerning the person of God, concerning myself, concerning eternity and what happens when you die. Jesus goes against that. Jesus goes against those religions. He goes against that peace that all roads. You can believe however you want. It goes against the traditions of family, that a religion that your family has been involved in for generations. 
It goes against that. It can go against the strongest bonds of all, which is your family. Disappointing mom and dad by choosing to put your faith in Jesus Christ. That is some of the worst pain. And some parents here have experienced that in sons or daughters departing from the true faith in Christ and deciding to reject it. And Jesus and his message goes against me. Now, the illustration that came to my mind was Balaam. Balaam was hired by one of the kings of the region to come and curse God's people. When God had just gone through all the wonders in Egypt and parting of the Red Sea, looking over them as they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, and Balaam says, okay, let's go do that. Well, God sent a sword. That sword was in the hand of one of his angels. Balaam was going to go and do his own thing. Was going to go and try and speak against what God had been about for decades. And really, since the beginning of time, as we're talking about God's grand plan to bring the Messiah. And we all know the Story that he's riding along on his donkey and the donkey stops and he beats him and gets him back going and on the road again and turns to the side again and beats him again, smacks Balaam's leg up against the wall and he's getting really furious and then the third time the donkey just lays down. And he's beating the donkey again and the donkey speaks. He says, why are you doing this? I'm trying to help you. Have I ever been disobedient like this before? It's, you know, God has a sense of humor when he has Balaam say nay. <laughs> but then the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way. And his sword drawn in his hand, and he bowed down his head and fell flat on his face. And the angel of the Lord said unto him, Wherefore hast thou smitten thine ass these three times? Behold, I went out to withstand you, because thy way is perverse before me. Balaam's way, what he wanted to do was perverse against God. And God was so serious about it, because... Balaam thought he could come and interfere with God's plan, ultimately for the plan of all mankind, for their salvation. If he had been able to somehow curse God's people, they would not have risen up, they would have not carried through the ages, the Savior would not have been born, he would not have died and provided salvation. God was not about to let him interfere with that, and he was ready to strike him down on the spot using one of his angels. God had a sword ready for him. And any way that is not 
faith in Christ alone is perverse in God's eyes. And there is a sword that stands against you. And it's not an angel standing in the path. The sword is this. And Jesus says, that's another thing that Jesus himself said. He says, I don't judge you. The word is going to judge you. The word is the sword. And until we unconditionally surrender to what God has said and whom he has sent, we cannot pass. That sword is blocking your way. And when you surrender to God's sword, it forces other people to recognize that the sword is standing in their way too. And then the conflict begins. And when we come to the prayer time this evening, understand that that's what these missionaries in these various countries are doing. They've got a sword out, and they're carrying it to that country. And they're telling people, Jesus is the only way to be right with God. And it's going to cause conflict. For them, and for those who believe the word that they bring. That is what Jesus was doing. That's what we are doing as a church. And when you, yourselves, try to witness to people about Jesus Christ, understand, you've got a sword in your hand. And it's sharp. You have to be careful with how you use it. But you can't put it down. Because it is the only way. And you will face conflict because of it. When you try and tell people, when you try to take that message, when you carry the sword. And it's not up to you to convert them. The sword is also the Holy Spirit. And by having that sword of God's word in your hand and the help of the Holy Spirit, they realize that they're the one who drew the sword first. And not against you, but against Almighty God. And God's requirement in this conflict, God puts down his sword when you put down yours. Praise the Lord for that. And that is why Jesus came. That's what he was telling his apostles before he sent them. Saying, I'm sending you into conflict, but I'm not sending you unarmed. He is sending them with his word and his person. Tell everybody about me so that they don't have to face that sword at the end of their life and face eternal condemnation. Maybe tonight you don't know the Lord and you realize tonight for the first time you've got a sword in your hand. God wants your unconditional surrender. You can't do it your way. You're not going to find an end around to that sword of his word that's in front of you.
unconditional surrender. Put your faith and trust in Jesus and him alone. Not being a good Baptist, not being a good person in the world's eyes, not pleasing your parents, none of those things. It's you and God. Surrender to him if you haven't. And folks, remember, this is what you're carrying. This is what Jesus calls us to carry into the world. We better be careful with it, but we're called to do it nonetheless.